Hi, this is Jimmy, and you're listening to Stage Door Medium. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 13, The Whole Being Dead Thing, featuring Broadway's favorite Girl Scout, Dana Steingold. Hi, everyone. It's Jimmy. Welcome back to another week of Stage Door Medium. I'm so excited today uh, for for our guest. We have we've got some fun stuff to talk about. It's, it, there's a question that I've been asked so many times, so I could not have a better guest to discuss it with. And we're talking about haunted houses today, um, among other things. But uh, as as our, our special guest today is Dana Steingold. So hi, Dana. How are you? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Um, I'm I'm so excited you're here. I'm excited to be here. Dana's credits. So it's it's funny. I my Dana, your credits are. Oh gosh, you've you've done so many cool things. So if you're listening, um, Dana Steingold was in the national tour of the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Um, you were in the visit. You've done City Center encores with Anyone Can Whistle, Beetlejuice, and it's funny. I'm so I'm so I'm a little dated. I'm a little behind on things, and. Um, <laughs> I remember uh, <laughs> um, one of my students was talking the one day about you and they're obsessed with your song from, from Beetlejuice, the Girl Scout song. Like, and they brought up Dana Steingold and I'm, and I'm like, or they're like, wait, from Beetlejuice? And I'm like, wait, from the 2010 production of Into the Woods at Kansas City Rep? And they're looking at sure. me like, what are you talking about? And so I'm, I was, <laughs> I'm a little dated. Like, for example, like, um, you know, people will be watching current shows and they're like, what are you watching? I'm like, um, this crime drama. They're like, what is it? I'm like, um, murder she wrote. And they're like, oh, <laughs> like I'm so behind Dana. And they're like, well, what channel? I'm like, DVD. So, um, and <laughs> so that's great. Anyway. There's something really beautiful about doing that though. And just being, being present with where time. you are and <laughs> ignoring like the status quo. I think that's beautiful. That's me. And I have to tell yeah. you, your performance, and I, I know I told you, but for, for our viewers, it has stuck with me 10 years later. And I remember you were the most, it was like the darkest, grisliest, like she had this like odd, fast, I mean, Little Red Riding already does have this odd fascination with like the morbid, but like, I remember after the line, like for all that I know, she's already dead. You let out this like creepy, like Annabelle giggle. <laughs> it just stuck with me. And, um, and I remember you were like tickling like Claiborne Elder's chest. And sure. it was just one of those performances that um, I can tell you was so good that if 10 years later, if a student brought up the name Dana Steingold and I remembered it, that says something. So Anyway, I'm glad you're here. Um, I would love if, if we could start, I didn't know if you would be able to talk about your your background with, with theater. Like, did you always know that you wanted to be a performer? I think kind of um, subconsciously. I was a really precocious kid and luckily my parents gave me three siblings. So I had like an entire theater troupe in my home. So I sort of employed them uh, all the time and we, put on shows, kind of like everyone does. I think everyone has a space in their house that's like the stage. So for me, it was the fireplace and behind the couch was backstage. So um, I got to star in the shows, direct the shows, cast them and produce them. So my siblings spent a lot of time behind the couch and I <laughs> starred in all the shows and gave myself all the good lines. Um, that was, was me too. 
Yeah. So, you know, and I think I was just rambunctious and I had a lot of energy and my parents were like, you need to stop approaching people at the grocery store and trying to talk to them and sing for them. So they put me in dance classes and um, I kind of liked it and I picked up on things really quickly. And when I was seven, my friend was auditioning for a local theater um, and that they were doing The King and I, which let's recognize the time we're in now, not an appropriate show for me to be doing, but here we are telling the story. Um, and I begged my parents to let me audition. And they were like, you have nothing prepared. And I was like, I'm gonna be fine. And I did um, a whole performance of Part of Your World with like full choreography. I like laid on the ground, like with my legs out, like, like they were fins. Don't recommend that, um, but I got it. And um, I was Princess Ying Yawalik. And uh, I think Is that basically my mom- is that the one that writes the letter that's like, please do not go away? And like, I yeah. cried every time in the movie. Yeah. She's the <laughs> one with like the, the speech at the end. Um, and I just like remember after the very first show, hearing applause and I, that was it for me. Like I was like instantaneous. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and I told my mom right after, I was like, did you hear them clapping for me? And my mom was like, that probably wasn't just for you, but we'll let that go. And um, I just kind of never stopped from there. And there was never really a moment that I thought about doing anything else, strangely, I think. Um, at one point I did want to be a criminal psychologist because I was obsessed with the practice and I was fascinated by the idea, which I think, you know, psychology and acting go hand in hand anyway. So it seems like a natural fit. Um, but yeah, I, I found my way to a theater camp in the Catskills called Stage Door Manor. And I think that's where it really landed for me that this could be a career. Um, and eventually went to NYU for musical theater. You, I, oh, I gotta interject really quick because you brought up this really neat point about applause. And can I ask at what point, at what point as an actress or an actor, what, what point does the idea of applause transition to something different? Because you you brought it up, you said it best, like as kids, it's very much like that gold star, that extrinsic, does it ever switch? And do you view applause as something different now? Or as an audience member, if you were in the theater, do you view it as something different? Yeah, now I will say as an adult, curtain calls are one of the most um, embarrassing times for me where I find myself apologizing a little bit. And I try really hard not to do it because people wanna see you be like six, you know, you've reached the pinnacle of your performance. They wanna applaud you. And so I have to remind myself that it's for the audience and not for me, but that switches. I think it's somewhere when self-doubt kicks in and the self-judgment um, starts and you start nitpicking your own performance. Like, ooh, that was like a, not my best version of this today, or wow, it really took me like 45 minutes to get going there, or the perception we have as actors of like, that was not a crowd that was into it at all. And then they erupt in applause at the end, you know? So I think it does take on a different thing as you age, just because there's self-judgment. Um, so now I'm always like, let's let this be over. Thank you so much. <laughs> Well, even even if I, even you know even based on a, a different country, applause is such a different thing too. Where it's almost become, I was reading a part of like an American tradition that we have to stand and do standing ovations. Where I was reading with British theater, it's not often, it's not all the time, and it's very much like a "did you earn it" type of thing. It, it's such a fascinating that I think in America, it's very much like a part of our P's and Q's and. Um, 
you know, the, the applause and everyone just knows to stand. And um, I know I always tell my students that, you know, the applause, <laughs> I, I was working with younger ones and then I, you know, I work with older ones and it's neat seeing that transition happen as we, as they get older, they start to see that the applause and the, the bows are that moment to acknowledge people as just humans, you know, not as Girl Scout or a Little Red. It's just, it's, it's, it's Dana Steingold. And so I know it's, it's something I've always thought of. And um, can I ask, I mean, going into how, so was Spelling Bee, was that one of the big breaks, first big breaks for you professionally? Definitely. Um, I actually left my college graduation early. Like I walked and then went to my final callback. Um, and I actually like called my agent at the time and said like, do you think they could push the time back like 45 minutes? Because I, I really like to walk in graduation, which is not really something you do, but they thankfully obliged and let me come a little bit later. And my parents were in town because it was graduation and they were in New York City and didn't really know where to go. So I remember like I brought them to Chelsea Studios with me and I made them wait downstairs at what was a Chipotle at the time um, and made them wait there because it would be incredibly unprofessional if they came upstairs. Um, and I remember having that final callback and I didn't hear it for weeks. And I just thought like, okay, well, it didn't go my way. That's okay. It was like one of my first big auditions and I got to meet, you know, Bill Finn and James Lapine who were two of my idols growing up. So I was like, whatever, like onto the next. And um, I ended up, I was obsessed with Thoroughly Modern Millie uh, during my senior year. I was obsessed with Sutton Foster. I went and saw it like six times and I was coming down the escalator of the Marriott Marquis when I got the call that I got the job. <laughs> like a very New York, um, full, like full I circle bet. story. So um, it was so definitely my big break. Yeah. And to be like where someone inspired you so much and then had that moment happen for you was really exciting. Um, and then it was sort of like grad school because it was a bunch of us sort of in our first big jobs that cast was crazy looking back now. Um, it was like Lauren Worsham and Sarah Stiles and Eric Peterson and Miguel Cervantes and just everybody, Jen Samard, people went on to do such incredible things, but we were kind of all like, it was our first big job pretty much. Sarah had come from the New York company. So she had done, you know, a lot of stuff before. But we just toured the country and we were like 21, 22, 23, and we just had the best time. And I learned so much. That show's so, so beautiful. Much. So beautiful. It's I, so beautiful. And I feel like it's a very traditional, like, I mean, with, with you know, Bill Finn and James Lapine, like, I feel like you could, I hate to say it, and I know it mean to sound disrespectful, but you could see a really bad production of it and still walk away going, it's beautiful. Like it's, it's still like, you know, I've seen some real doozies of Into the Woods, but you still walk away and you're like, damn, that's an airtight show. You know what I mean? Even if it's totally. not acted or sung to perfection and God, there's so many moments in, in, in your spelling bee. Was Sally Wilfert with you guys? Yes. So Sally joined us. Um, Jen moved to the company in New York uh, about like six months in and then Sally came and she's also like, talk about a magnificent energy and spirit. Like just. She's on the show. She's coming on. Oh, you're so lucky. I love her. I know. Like I'm very lucky. Just everything about her is a hug. Like that's sort of like what I describe her as like her voice, her essence, yeah. but like not fake nice either. Like warm, but 
but confident and honest too. It's it's so special. She's just very special. She said um, so many things to me after the reading. She was like, I feel like, you know, and it's not giving anything away. I mean, she just was like, this really, like, I'm digesting all of this. I'm processing all of this. And like, she was just lovely. She, and keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, not at all. She's just, she's wonderful. And yeah, it just was like this really beautiful experience. And I think the show, um, much like a lot of the work I've actually done now that I'm thinking back on it, um, it celebrates the weirdness in all of us. And I feel like I often do get cast in shows where we kind of get to let our free, our freak flag fly a little bit. And that is sort of the most therapeutic part about playing parts like that too, is there's no wrong. You can, you act instinctually because that's what children do. That's kind of the beauty of playing kids. Like you go from zero to 10 so quickly with no in-between and adults don't really do that. We like stifle everything. Um, so it's sort of like the most honest way um, in terms of like scene work, <laughs> you know, it's just such an interesting thing. But um, I think the show's so deeply funny that even a bad production just works. Good. Just works. I hope ours was good, but I, I think it was, but even so. <laughs> I am certain of it. I remember it came through town, but it's funny at the time, like, you know, you, you, I would have been what um, I would have been in college, you know, when, when it was, when it was coming through, I, like, I think I was a freshman and stuff, but you know, you don't see all of them. Like, like now I, I try to see everything. And um, it's funny, like, I, I guess going on to Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice is probably the one show pre shutdown that I hadn't, I hadn't seen. And um, I didn't know if, oh, well, that's the other thing that I wanted to ask you. This is something that's always interested me the topic because for example like I say this all the time about I, I guess about what I do as a medium that you could be the greatest medium in the world but if you give people an ick factor if you I just feel like if your personality is I hate to say it pretty shitty like you're not gonna you will not go far as a medium and can I ask do you find like is that common in the arts as well I've always wondered like if reputation will help you to book a job or hinder you versus, because I mean, if we're in a talent pool and all the talents the same, will reputation, do you find make or break somebody from getting a job? I think definitely. Um, I can tell you the amount of times someone has said to me, oh yeah, we spoke to so-and-so about you after I booked the job, you know, because I think when you're casting, especially a new musical, um, it's really a lot of people can execute the job, but there's a certain level of stress that everyone's going to be under a certain amount of hours needed, a certain amount of flexibility and sort of like humor about themselves as well. Um, and, you know, people want to be able to hang out with people and have a drink after. And one person who has toxic energy, or I call them caution yellow tapes, um, because I don't want to say that someone's like a toxic because a lot of people people aren't bad people but they don't realize how their energy is affecting other people and taking it down and it's Absolutely. I think most actors are uh, like empaths by nature and they absorb um because otherwise you couldn't go out and like expose yourself the way you do so I think it only takes one and I've definitely been in those companies where it's been like there's one person and it sort of takes it takes everybody down it's very hard to um remove yourself from that scenario. So I call them caution yellow tapes because there's just like that tape around them where you're like, stay 10 feet away, like be kind, do all those things, but you don't have to like engage that deeply. Um, but yeah, I think reputation is everything because 
you know, ultimately you may get a job if you have a bad reputation, but you won't get a second one, if that makes sense. Like with the same director or same creative team, because all it takes is one time for it to go bad. Um, and there's someone else in line who's easier to work with. And that's just sort of the reality. Yeah, uh, I say that and all the time. Yeah, and honestly, I think people always say like, what was so special about Beetlejuice? And for me, it was sort of like this perfect grouping of people who took the work seriously, but didn't take themselves seriously. And I think that was sort of like the secret sauce. And I think that's what Alex Timbers does really, really well in a casting room is he can kind of gauge that energy of like, who's cool, who's like relaxed. And he kind of puts all those people together because you're creating a family and you're spending, it's a long commitment. It's not just like going to work and going home. Um, building a show is like, you're building a whole baby together. So it's uh, several years, honestly, of a commitment and for the most part. Well, tensions get high. Um, the, the stress level gets really high. People are trying to get enough sleep, stay healthy. We're learning new scenes in the upper lobby, but teching the scene that's going in this evening because we're not ready to put that version on stage. So sometimes you have like version A, B, and C floating around of each scene. And the thing that you want are people who can just kind of like roll with the punches, keep their cool under pressure and still have a good laugh and just be like, I'm really tired today, guys. Like, I, I'm gonna say, raise my hand and say, this is enough pages for me today. Can we put this one in tomorrow? Um, yeah, but it's just, tensions get high. And I think what people forget is that theater is a team sport. And that's kind of what's beautiful about it is how collaborative it is. But I think people start to put themselves first in in the version of their team and then you start to run into like a problem. Yeah. So it was just, it's cool to be, when you're building a new show, to be with a group of people who are sort of like, you trust every single person on stage. Everyone has each other's backs. And we're like, if this falls apart, which inevitably happens, you tech one version and accidentally like the newer version goes in and you have 16 like pages less of music and all of a sudden people are running across the stage to new lights and you're <laughs> like, oops. <laughs> the number's over, which happened, yeah. um, you know, and you have to be able to kind of come off and laugh about it. Um, so yeah, I think it's about keeping your cool under pressure and just being like, we're not robots. This is live, <laughs> you know? And that was one of the reasons why that's one of the things that I try to spotlight on this show is that these are humans up on stage. And I feel like sometimes as an audience member, so many of them fall guilty. And I, I, I'm going to say it, especially the diehard fans fall guilty of treating the performers sometimes as machines that pump out these performances. And because somebody, I forgot who it was, said it best recently. They were talking about sometimes they view it as like, well, Elphaba didn't hit her notes today. It's like, well, okay, no, this performer struggled. Like, we're human. And it's, it's, yeah. Your fan base, I would love to talk about it, though, because I'm going to be honest, and I know we're going into Beetlejuice. I've never seen the movie. I've never seen that show. And I've, I've, oh, I've started watching a slime tutorial, as they call them sure. on YouTube, where it's like, you know, <laughs> emo girl meets, you know, dead man and says name thricely or something like that. And, yeah. Um, and uh, like, this is definitely not Beetlejuice on Broadway. Definitely not musical. <laughs> Time tutorial. I mean, can I ask, like, you're a fan base, and like now, after now that I, I know more about it, they are crazy supportive, like crazy in the best way, like fiercely yes. supportive of this show. And I saw like there were like fights breaking out on YouTube for God's sake about like you know about like like this person is a you know 
um, um, they, you know, they talked to me after the show and I could just see that raw emotion. Like they want to know everything about your lives. And can I like, what is it like having a fan base that's that supportive of a show? You know, it's like, it's overwhelming in both the most positive way and, and also sometimes overwhelming. It can be um, hard <laughs> emotionally. I think the beautiful thing about our show is it was sort of fan made and raised up by the fans. I think we were so proud of what we were doing. We knew what we were presenting and we thought it was great and funny and we believed in it, but it, we took a trajectory that I don't think very many shows maybe none ever. I think the closest probably is Wicked, but that was without social media. So it was a little bit different um, that our show was taken, like something that opened to mixed reviews that was kind of chugging along. We thought we maybe were going to close in September. And then we got like eight Tony nominations and the Tony performance kind of changed everything for us and the cast album coming out. And then TikTok happened. And all of a sudden our show just was like, boom. Um, and that energy, like you can feel it in the audience, how excited people were. And our stage door started to go from like 20 people to 50 people to all of a sudden there were 350, 400 kids wrapped around the block and cosplay. Like they had to keep ordering more barriers at the, from the Schubert organization because we were getting like trapped uh, kind of like inside. Um, but it was like the most beautiful thing because I think at the center of our show, we celebrate a real girl who isn't like a princess or trying to get a guy that wasn't the ultimate goal it was just a real girl with raw emotions talking about anxiety and grief and depression and so many people it resonate it resonated with so many teenagers and adults and the diehard cult fans um, yeah. from the movie so it also it was really beautiful because the amount of people who felt they had no one um as soon as I should say, as soon as it gets too overwhelming and you're like, wow, this is, this is a lot of um, energy that's being thrown toward me and I'm not, I'm just a human, like I don't have any magical answers for you. Then you would meet somebody at the stage where you said, I had no one, I felt so alone and I found this person on social media and we both loved Beetlejuice and we met at the show and we came in cosplay and like now I have a friend and it saved me, the show saved me. And I think it's so silly because it's Beetlejuice, but it really touches me that so many kids um, who felt unseen. And I think we can all uh, empathize yeah. with that. And we've all felt that way at some point or felt like we had nowhere to go and that life was hopeless. Um, it just proves you only need one person to see you, to fully see you, to keep pushing forward. So that is both intrinsically beautiful, but also overwhelming because the, um, I guess, it comes with a sort of power that you have to own also and a responsibility to be careful about things you're posting on social media, be careful about how you connect with everybody. I always try to answer direct messages if I can, but also I can't have like a, a longstanding friendship conversation with you because that's not my role, you know? So it's, yeah. it's such an interesting dynamic, but that being said, um, I think more than maybe any company, our cast is like completely overwhelmed with the fan base and so grateful to them because they're kind of like part of the extended family of yeah. our show and why we're here, honestly. I know you bring up such a good, uh, it's, it's such a great point about this idea of, you know, where, where do we draw the line with? And the, and the same thing will happen with sometimes with a reading where 
you know, I would, I would like to think that I'm, I'm friendly and, and warm and approachable. And then, you know, you do have people after a reading that will want to start to like email you a bunch to like, you know, like just talk or like, Hey, I have more questions for you. Or like, there is a point where, you know, and you do have to draw that line a little bit just for your, for your own, like I, I, as much as I love what I do, it's, it is also a job. And I very much have to, and I know you guys identify with it. There are, there's off hours and it's, you know, same thing with my posting. I know my social media is new, but um, it's, it's interesting. Like mediumship, like back in the day, mediumship was all word of mouth. You know, you, you went to a medium because somebody else recommended this person. And now it is, I mean, yes, it's still word of mouth, but it's also changing. And I'm like, Oh, I need like, I need a website. I need like, people because it's the demographic is different too. You know, you, you have a new generation of people that are, are growing up with mediums and they might not necessarily want um, the mediumship component, but they want to talk about um, empaths and they want, and they want it. It's a very different ball game in 2020 as a medium, I think than it might've been for a medium in 1970 or 1980. And um, I, Oh, you brought up another great point. I, I was always wondering as a performer, you see these performances, I know that, that are, you know, that are bootlegged and where the crowd just goes wild. And I always say too, like as a medium, I get into a rhythm. So if I have somebody, for example, that's interrupting me a lot during a reading, I always say it's like a conversation and there's going to be moments where I'm like, can we, I, I don't understand what does this message mean or, but if they start interrupting me too much, I kind of have to gently go, nope, I'm moving on because like my brain, it has to stay focused over with who I'm trying to channel. When you have these performances where they go, and I've been in the audience and I find it distracting. Does it just like, does it throw the cast? Like when the, when the crowds are super crazy supportive, is it also disruptive or distracting? You know, it rarely, I will say our show, it's almost more disruptive when they're quiet I will say like a Wednesday matinee is always like okay here we go (laughs) just because our show is sort of um it kind of turned into almost like a rocky horror situation and what's interesting is I would say 99% of it is scripted but because Alex is so good on his feet and Leslie and everybody um like they're able to kind of like roll with the punches of the audience as well. And Alex could break the fourth wall and, and say something. So if it ever did get out of control, he was really good at being like, hey, you, I'm gonna need you to take it down or like whatever he needed to do as Beetlejuice, he was able to do it freely. Um, it only, we had a few times where somebody would sort of get out of control and we would need to like monitor the situation. Um, but it was, it was pretty rare. Uh, the only thing that truly distracts me, I will say is it's when people are filming. <laughs> Um, and you know, and bootlegs are so it's like beautiful. Cause like you're getting to watch one right now and connect with the show. And it's also, there's so many kids who couldn't get to New York and wanted to see it. And I have faith they'll see it, but that's, that's a whole nother thing. Um, but it's, it's hard. Like the internet is forever and things sit there and you can't get it taken down and you have no control over it. And kind of what you were speaking to a minute ago about how people are human, like you also never know the circumstances that people are dealing with that day and also how they ended up on that stage that day. So for example, sometimes you'll play the Girl Scout in the matinee and Lydia in the evening and you'll find out at 7.15 that that's happening and you won't have had the mental headspace to 
you know, prepare the way you'd like to. Um, or sometimes you're sick and the other, and the person who's playing the part is sick and only two, you know, two people are already out. So you have to go on yeah. and you can't call out for two more dates. So you got to like chug the honey and take Robitussin and do whatever you got to do to get out there. Cause it's holiday season and we're down like five swings, you know? So people don't understand. I think that it's like a moment in time. And when they put things on the internet, they're forever. And you're basically making now a form you're forming an opinion based off of one moment, not a full journey of somebody's performance. Or when people do like, who seems the best, like, ah, whatever they do, you know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> like, I know, those like, the worst, <laughs> the worst also because everyone is so unique and does their own thing and you can't experience energy through a bootleg. Like you just can't, um, oh. it's, it's so specific. But I think it's interesting that you talked about that because I think when you're saying like people interrupting you, I think in a way, like what you do is similar to an actor in that like you're the bridge between two worlds, right? And so like as an actor, I'm on stage and even though my character isn't distracted, like Dana, the actor can be distracted because I'm like, I'm just I'm trying to tell you the story and you're getting in the way, <laughs> you know? The other thing that I'm so excited to talk with you about, because I feel like, especially with a question that I get asked all the time, I mean, is I think my house is haunted is what I hear all the time. And I, and Beetlejuice is literally about like, yes, there's like the demon, but it, it, it's about a haunted house. Yeah. And can I ask with like, do you have any experience or stories like in the winter garden where you felt like, I guess either spooked out or you, did you ever sense energy in that theater from people that weren't, aren't physically here? Yes. Certain rooms have stronger energy than others. And I think um, there are different people who've had different in our company who've had different experiences in those rooms and we're like, okay, no, this, that chair like flipped over, nothing happened. Sure. Um, but there's so much history. I think that's every Broadway theater, but the Winter Garden has so much history. And you actually spoke about it in my reading, but the one thing that did happen to me often was there was something in my dressing room that kept moving all the time. And I was like, I'm so confused. Like, I know I left it here and it used to be like, it was here and now it's just like three inches to the right, but I would never leave it there because, so one of my things is that I'm, um, I'm incredibly relaxed, except that I'm um, extremely, I would say, um, I guess, I, I don't want to say that I'm, I just, I like to have things the same way. I'm a little bit like creepy like that. So I, I put my things on in the same order every day. I don't want to call it OCD <laughs> or superstitious. Yeah, like, or, yeah, methodical. It's not even superstition. It's just like, these are the things I have to do. And I eat this thing at this time during the show. And like, that's what I do. Um, and so I know that I would not have left this thing um, there because it goes over there. Do you see what I'm saying? So I would come up all the time. And in my reading, um, someone, a mentor came through and said that um, he was moving a thing. You had asked me if someone had been moving things, if you were noticing things moved in your dressing room. And I said, yes. And it, um, my mentor came through and said that it was him trying to keep me present, which is was so funny to me because he was the most present actually to me at the winter garden strangely just because um he never got to see it um and I feel like it would have been 
A, he would have loved the show because it's just like that dark, sick humor that he loves so much. And he's the loudest laugher. And I also had this is a real thing. And I don't think I've, I've only talked to two people about this, actually. Um, the so first Beetlejuice time, fans, listen in. You heard it here first. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> the very first time I went on is Lydia. I swear to God, I looked to the right during Dead Mom, and it stage right. And I swear I saw Michael sitting there smiling like this, like which is how we used to sit. And it almost like I almost forgot my lines. Like it took me, it took me back Ooh, a little bit. Right now. Um, and I I told like two other people, and I was like, I know that's like crazy, and I was clearly like putting that on. I mean, I have no idea. I was like, I, that can't be. But it's also like this thing that I know he would have been there for. So when he came through um, in my reading and you talked about that, I was like, that's so interesting. So actually the most present ghost of the Winter Garden has been my own personal ghost, I oh. think. But um, I very much believe in that, so. And it's a great jumping off point. So, I mean, and I, if, I, I'm gonna be very honest. It's, it's funny, like as a medium, I have very, very, very different views than ghost hunters do. I really don't believe that souls are, are trapped. I, I don't think it's fair. However, uh, oh gosh, and please bear with me, Dana. I know, cause I know, I, I feel like it, but for me, it's important, especially on this type of podcast to talk about. I like to describe some of the ghosts, ghosts and spirits that inhabit theaters. Imagine like those people that you see at your 10 year and then your 20 year reunion out of high school that are still like the same people as they were in high school. It's like those people that didn't grow up. So no, they're not spirits that are stuck. They're people that they're energies that like attention. And so, you know, and these, many times when people will talk about going to these haunted locations and, you know, we have, we have a, a fort, you know, right, right near us that, they mark it at Halloween as haunted. And as a medium, I've been to many spots and I'm like, there's there's nothing here. There's literally nothing here because if they've got their own shit to do on the other side, if I can be blunt, they don't want to hang around an old military base and like right. boot people out. And so I think a better word, and I know we spoke about this earlier, but a better word that I can use is called imprinting. So if you're listening at home and you're like, what is that? It is everything is energy is what I always say. And we imprint, we leave imprints wherever we go. So I often say theaters, another really great example are antique stores. Thou, those places are heavily imprinted. So there's many times as when you'll get people that are sensitive to energy, sometimes they will mistake that and think that they're currently picking up on a ton of spirits in an antique shop or a ton of spirits in a theater. It's really not. It's these places have been, again, I know, I know I keep using the word imprinted with energy. I mean, the winter garden has had so many incredible, I mean, like, God, if I could go back in time and watch Barbara Streisand's performance of funny girl, like, I, like that, isn't like, and if you're listening at home, if you just got goosebumps, you're like, oh my God, me too. That's an imprint. All of that energy of seeing like somebody who's now this supernova star, like who was made there, that imprints there. Mamma Mia, you know, it doesn't matter if it, if it isn't like the, the musical, like doesn't have the greatest book or like 
the energy yeah. that was created in that theater. Same for Beetlejuice. So, so many times, and this could easily be on a, on a home level. If you walk into a home and you're like, mm, I don't like how this house feels. So many times people, because of what we've been taught in pop culture and movies and we're taught that there's like a, a demon in it or like a bad spirit. It's not, it's you're many times it's just empaths. So many people think, Oh, only empath psychics and mediums are the only ones that are empathic wrong. Almost all actors are empathic. And so you can go into a space and go, I just feel kind of skeezed out here. Like it, 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 it feels like we have a, a hotel um, in, in, in uh, Buffalo that, I could only go in once. I went in for drinks and because it used to be an old psych center that they had turned into a hotel. And there was a lot of like bad stuff that happened in this space. Like people were tortured and, you know, basically things that you saw on like American Horror Story season two, like happened in that space. And people love to come back going like, oh, the ghosts are still there. And again, that's not true. It's just that energy lingers in that space. And you're not, you know, most of the time, I'm also asked, what do you do if you do encounter those yucky spaces? And, you know, do they go home with you? Or again, it's just, you can sage, you know, if, if this is your home and you're listening at home, you're like, I think I've got some yucky spaces. Everything's about intention. You can sage out. You can say, you know, I, I break up and re- I, I do it before every reading, actually. I'm, even if it's digital, like before I, before I, I met with you, I said, I break up and I release any stagnant energy in this space. I ask that it, it leave and that we create only room for Dana Steingold's highest and best loved ones, family and friends, because again, it lingers. If I'm having a bad day and I come into the studio super pissy, all of a sudden it's like a little cloud that happens in between, you know, you and I. And um, so, yeah, I, the, it's, I don't doubt. I don't doubt that you saw your mentor. Um, can I ask, did you see him like you see me right now? Or did you, was it more like something up here, like almost like tracing paper? It, it felt like I saw him. Um, and I know like all the seats were filled. So I know it's not like, I it's, it, when I came back on stage, it was some, you know, and I, I, I looked again, like I had to look again yeah. and it was a totally like a woman who looked nothing like him. So it's why it made no sense to me. And I was like, wow, my mind is either playing tricks on me or uh, like really good ones today or Michael came. Um, that's what we call subjective scene or um, excuse me, objective. Subjective during a reading is like, I kind of see it in my mind's eye. Objective scene is like, and we all, we've had it happen. Many of it, like you said, like we see them, like you and I see each other, but because it takes so much energy for the deceased to do that, it's usually only like a split second and then they're gone because it drains them. Um, where, you know, subjective scene, they don't have to do something like that. We can just kind of sense what they look like, but keep going. I'm so sorry. No, it, it's, it's just interesting. And uh, it was just such a crazy, um, a crazy Thing. And I, I, he is always present with me just because, um, and we talked about this in my reading, just because the teachings and all the things that he taught me, he was such a formative um, teacher for me that I think about him all the time. If I don't land a joke, um, I was just saying this to somebody else who I was writing a little piece on him. And I was like, if I don't land a joke, I'm always like, I go back to the basics and I'm like, it's my diction. It's obviously my diction 95% of the times. And it's, that's such a Michael note 
to give um, and just something he would always say. And it was, it's just, he sort of left us uh, quickly. And it was one of those weird things that I should say, I was just very moved when he came through. I, I think I got a little teary just because sure. I was actually, um, he came to the city. I hadn't seen him in like six months. He came, I was doing Avenue Q at the time and I was doing double duty and I was doing the Beetlejuice workshop at the same time. So I'd been doing it for three weeks and we were right at the end and I was exhausted. And he came to Avenue Q and I was so happy he was there, but you know, a normal performance, I would never be like, that wasn't the best thing I've ever done. I'm just like, yeah, that was today. But because someone you care about in a real way, I think like when you know someone close to you is there, like the pressure is always like way worse. My parents are there or someone, it's not because anything they've put on me, it's just like, you want to make them proud. Um, rather than like strangers, famous people, I'm like, whatever, that's fine. But my parents, oh God. <laughs> um, no. So he was there and I just was like, oh, I'm exhausted. And everyone went out and after the show and he was like, go home, you need sleep. And I was like, okay. And he's like, I'll be back in two weeks. Cause he was coming back to see another student who's another good friend of mine open in the band's visit um, in his Broadway debut. And I said, okay, I'll see you in two weeks. And he passed um, 10 days later. So I, I've always had this like weird regret that like I didn't go out that evening and he didn't get to see the culmination of like why I had to go home. Sure. You know, it's like all this stuff. And I know that he wouldn't have cared, but it's just so interesting. And like, actually the day before he passed was my wedding anniversary. And he, I'll like never forget this because he wrote something that felt so, it was almost like he knew he was going to, to pass, which is so weird because he died of a heart attack and you can't know that kind of thing. Um, but he just basically said like, I love you and I'm so happy you have such a beautiful relationship in your life. And like, I can't think of anybody more deserving than this, um, of this and um, love you so much. And I was like, oh, that's such a um, final thing to put on somebody's, it felt almost like a farewell statement. And then he passed the next day, which is so bizarre. So um, yeah, he's, he's with me. Every time I sing that lyric in a show where it's like, I miss you every day, you know, or like, um, mama, if you're listening, doesn't this just blow your mind? I always think of him because I'm like levitating and I'm really, I'm just like, doesn't this, excuse me, freaking blow your mind? Like I made it here and like, I'm sorry you're not here to see this, but like, doesn't this kind of blow your mind? I'm floating at the winter garden <laughs> right now. Like I'm levitating at the winter garden. Um, yeah, this so is special just, to me too, because like, if you are a fan of Beetlejuice watching this, this just gives me goosebumps because it's like, it gives you such a rare glimpse of like what these actors are thinking of when they're channeling these, you know, I, I just did a reading for somebody and I, I won't say who in, in case, you know, they, they don't want me to mention it. I'm, I'm hoping they'll talk about it, but I brought somebody through for, for them. And I was like, do you talk to them like right before the show? And they're like every night, right before, I can't even say how they entered, but it was really cool. They're like, I would always directly. And for me, like I, as a medium, it's so special to know that like, you know, like, I, I don't know. Cause I can see it sometimes when I see the performances, I'm like, oh, they're thinking of, I know they're thinking of someone here. And um, can I ask you out of curiosity, did he have glasses? Yeah. Okay. So, and the reason I have to ask, did he have like a Steve Jobs vibe to him? Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so if you're, again, if you're watching at home, I always love to answer because you, 
whenever I would go to like a medium growing up, they never tell you what they're seeing on our end. And for me, like maybe like I was always more fascinated in the backstage aspects of musicals than I think sometimes, you know, I would get that obstructed seat and somebody's like, what a shitty seat you have. And I'm like, this is the best. I'm like, because I can see the track that's going on backstage. So as a medium, I love to explain what I'm seeing. So when I, and I can say it, I mean, cause I, I know you did mention it and you know, Michael, Michael was a mentor of, of yours at Stage Door Manor. And I remember after I read, I, I asked you, I was like, had you, I think you had been asking him to come through for the reading. And is that correct? Yeah. And I am a firm believer. And that's why I, when I, before I book a reading with somebody or after, I always send them a video and say, whoever you want to come through, tell them. Because what happens is like, when we put out that intention, they tug on it and then they relay it to me. And I looked at the top of your note after we read and it said something like, for me, when I write, it's very stream of consciousness. And I had friend mentor and I thought it was the same, uh, excuse me, separate people. And I was like, oh, this is the same person. I'm like, and so when he, if you're wondering what it looks like on my end, they showed me a man, because remember we can only, our idea, our ability to identify people is for me as a medium is based off of people that I already know or established images. So what he did was because I don't, they want to make the most of their time because it's difficult for them energetically to stay for a long time. And I don't want to be sitting there with you like for an hour going and like, like (laughs) a criminal sketch. So he literally flashed me the image of Steve jobs, but then he had little glasses. So because they have to work quickly. So I knew I was like, okay, this is what he looks like. And then, so that's the, the clairvoyant aspect. And then again, like I talked about, it's this delicate dance of channeling so many different abilities. He started hitting my heart. And so that's clairsentience. If, if you're listening at home, you're like, so you feel pain temporarily. So I, I did, I, I always make the joke with my husband. I'm like, one day, if I, God forbid, if I am having an illness, I'm like... I'm screwed because I'll just think, oh, who's coming through? And it's like, I'm having a heart attack. Um, and But he hit it repeatedly. And so that's when you, as a medium, if you've been practicing for a while, then you start to just go with the clear, uh, excuse me, uh, the clear cognizance, which is just clear knowing. And in that instant, I knew that this was something that he struggled with for a while. And I remember you're like, no, this was a condition, you know, and, um, and then again, he showed me an image of a, um, a sock, um, uh, a plug being just yanked out of the wall, which just meant, and if I hear a snap, it just means we go. And so he was really clear. Um, he was lovely. And it's funny, I, and now I've read some more people that, um, you know, I, I can say it, Julia Murney went to Stage Door Manor. And so I brought up a mentor for her and she was like, I don't know who this is. And then when I interviewed her, she was like, well, I'm hoping, I was wishing that, hoping that Michael would have come up. And I'm like, mentor? I was like, I literally asked you during the reading, I was like, who's the mentor that would have been fiercely supportive of you and would have been like obsessed with your talent? And she was like, that's Michael. So I'm like, I told you during the reading, but we go deer in the headlight, you know? And we're like, totally. It's a lot to absorb at (laughs) once. And it's so funny because afterward, Julia actually told me she spoke to you and she was like, it didn't hit me, but it was Michael. Yes, and I ran into her and I was with someone else, our uh, mutual friend who also went to summer camp with us. And then I told my text chain of my summer camp friends, 
Um, and <laughs> my friends is like, oh, just like Michael to try to get into all of our readings. <laughs> make himself the star of our our readings like and i have to ask i, I guess uh, how does how do how does like jimmy the medium come up between you and julia murney then like how did that even come up oh you know we were both volunteering for um god's love we deliver and we were delivering meals and she mentioned that she she actually said to me she's like you know it's so funny i was thinking about you guys because I did this thing and I was doing this podcast and um, I got read by a medium and he said that someone came through and I couldn't figure out who it was. And later I realized it was obviously Michael. Um, and then thus, then he came through very strong in mine. And then the text ensued about how he's still trying to upstage us all from heaven, <laughs> from the other <laughs> side. Just... That's so funny because the vibe I got was very much like this idea of in the most loving, loving, supportive way. It was like, this guy was so skilled at what he was doing. He was like, okay, you're doing it a little bit wrong. Let me do it like this. And then like, I see him doing the whole freaking number just to like, cause he was, I, I would have got to have been in his presence. He just seems magical. Um, yeah, he was, it was, it was that kind of like, um, you know, I think the best teachers are the ones that push you to the they push you as far as you can go to the point where you think you might break and then give you so much love. You know, there's, I think there's those amazing teachers that they don't quite put you back together in that way, but it's like, he was hard on you and he always treated us like adults. We were like 12 and 13, but he talked to us like we were professionals and we were like 25. Yeah. Because of him, nothing um, rattles me, I think in the business because I had someone screaming at me, you know, when I was 12 <laughs> that I needed to be better. Um, and but it came it came from so much it came from so much love and when he laughed it was so guttural and so real so you knew you had earned it yes um you know and I think those are the that's like why when he for him to miss Beetlejuice was so um such a upsetting thing and I think for him to miss our other friend in the band's visit these are things that he always used to say things like um watching his his students succeed was like better than anything it was like the best possible thing for him. And he would, I mean, I would sit in audiences with him where he would just like weep. And another friend of mine made his Broadway debut also like in that same year, um, right after his passing. And he, I know he's there with us, um, but it just is, you know, a light that kind of went yeah. too soon, but he did live a very full life and touched a lot of people in that time and so many students. and. Well, rest assured that Michael does not have to watch bootlegs on YouTube. Michael can come to your theater. He does not have to pay premium seats for a weekend via, you know, um, he can, he will hang out backstage. So, yeah. And now it's time for some last minute questions. If you had to be stuck in a theater and had to watch like the same performance over and over every night, what show would you pick? Oh, that's so hard. I really did like really 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 did like the amount of Millie um but I think if I could go backward I would be in the audience for Sunny in the Park with George with Bernadette Peters and I would watch it I know I can watch it on tape but it's not the same as being there and I worshipped that recording growing up and so. those recordings back then kind of look like our equivalent of bootlegs today <laughs> like the yes, totally. are like way clearer than they were back there you're like I think this is Bernadette Peters yeah. uh, you're like, this might be just an audience member that they're filming at this moment. Like it was all grainy. It was like 360. Yes. Um, if you, oh gosh, what character have you played that could benefit from a medium? Oh, definitely Little Red Riding Hood. She could really benefit from a medium, especially, 
<laughs> I mean, the beautiful thing about her is that there is a demonic, I mean, she's obsessed with things that are morbid. Everyone's dying in her wake and she's like seemingly unaffected by it. She could really benefit from a medium. I think she needs to talk to her grandmother who would knock some sense into her about all her choices. <laughs> <laughs> that grandmother's also super morbid too. And I, I remember distinctly yes. from the DVD, um, the woman, uh, the God, the brilliant actress who played Red's grandmother. And she was like, oh, I know. She's like, we'll fill his um, belly up with some great big stones. She goes, and then we'll watch him try to run away. And it's like, it's branded up here. I'm like, oh, she's sick too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, so your Girl Scout character, her name is Sky, correct? Mm-hmm. So if you if you could go back because you talked about Bernadette, some other Broadway legends, if you could swap, what Broadway legend would you love to see play the Girl Scout? Oh, this is so, well. I mean, Kristen Chenoweth would obviously be great. I mean, an, a natural sky if there ever was one. Oh gosh, there's so many people. That's what's so beautiful about theater is that like you create something, but then you gift it to the world, and like there's gonna be. It belong. It doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to all these people who want to play it, and I think that's what's like so beautiful about theater and so exciting is that um, I can't like I can't wait to see other people play it who are we don't know yet like the future stars of the world. So I think that's like really beautiful. What about Lydia? Because you've you covered Lydia. What like big Broadway performer who obviously might not be in the correct age range age range to play her now? Who would you have like? Oh. Not in the correct age, like correct age range. Like, like a big Broadway veteran. Like if we could go back and she made her debut in Beetlejuice. Mm, this is really hard because it takes a very specific energy. Um, I mean, certainly there are a number of, I think, alphabets that would be fantastic. Um, this is such a hard, you know who I'd love to see? Oh my gosh, now I'm blinking on her name. But the woman who played Kafritz in Henry Sweet Henry, who's like a genius. She'd also be a great Girl Scout, actually. This is gonna make me nuts. If you could go back <laughs> and, t- so for example, if you could have originated a part in Broadway musical history, because you did with Beetlejuice, obviously, but if you could go back, a role that's now iconic, if you could pick a part, what would it have been? You know, I would love to have done Squeaky from an assassin. I like love assassins so much. And I mean, again, I love twisted characters and I just think there's something so, she's sort of like, um, especially right now, she's sort of like on that precipice. She's somewhere between like child and woman, like she's an adult, but there's something so like deeply um, twisted about her and childlike that she needs, she follows Charlie Manson around, you know what I mean? So you have to, pe- you have to be missing a, a little bit of a chip for that, um, <laughs> which I love. So, <laughs> yeah, one. I think that'd be a really good one to do. And then final question, um, many, 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 many years from here, when, uh, from now when we're all not here, how would you want people to look back and remember Dana Steingold as a person and as a performer? Oh my gosh. Um, I hope that people would say that I was uh, kind and generous and uh, that we laughed a lot together because I think I tried to lead with that um, for the most part uh, <laughs> when I can. My, my yeah, like, um, but I think, yeah, I hope that people are like, she's, she's cool, she's kind and she's, she's warm to people and not in like a BS way, but in a real way because I really do try to get to know people and um, see past like 
sometimes it takes some peeling away of, of layers for people, I think, who are not as naturally open, but um, I'm like a hugger and I will get you to hug me back. <laughs> so I, when this is done, I am coming to New York. We will schedule a hug. We will get some yes. coffee. And, um, it, we, and we will talk about The Bachelor. Okay. I, yes, we'll talk more about it because it's it, at this point it's just getting like I'm like we gotta we gotta wrap this up like yeah, yeah. and so Asia, that's <laughs> I have some opinions on what went down last night but <laughs> Dana back to you this was this was such a thrill a pleasure to have you here thank you for sharing all things Beetlejuice and for speaking about Michael and just your expertise and experience and. Um, we will, when Broadway is back and up and running, um, I know I will be there to cheer you on with whatever you are in. So thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Hi, everyone. I want to thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed. If you want to learn more about Stage Door Medium, please feel free to give me a follow at Stage Door Medium on Instagram, stagedoormedium.com, and on YouTube, Stage Door Medium as well. I hope you're well and we'll see you soon.